Hello and welcome to the Cobalt Banker Commercial What Moves Her conversation. This will be part one of a three-part series digging into women and investing in commercial real estate. What Moves Her is a trailblazing campaign that supports the growth of women in real estate and for Cobalt Banker Commercial, we'll focus on elevating careers, empowering the community, and supporting the success of women within our network. My name is Christina Ballas. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host for today. I am so fortunate to work for such an amazing company, and CBC really cares about shrinking the gender gap in our industry for professionals and investors alike through initiatives like What Moves Her. And as for any of our counterparts that don't identify as women, this is for you too. So we want you to learn the whys and that will hopefully and inevitably open the doors to closing more deals with the many women that want to make a deal happen. We are thrilled to be joined by nationally recognized guest, affectionately known as the canvassing queen, Beth Azor. She is the founder and CEO of Azor Advisory Services, a leading commercial real estate advisory and investment firm based in Weston, Florida. As the principal, Beth currently owns and manages six shopping centers in Florida valued at over $100 million. She travels the U.S. consulting with, brokering deals for, and training associates in the commercial real estate industry. A partial list of Beth's clients include Phillips Edison & Company, Bricksmore Properties, The Shopping Center Group, Urban Edge Development, DLC Management Group, and Bedrock, just to name a few. Beth also wrote two books detailing her experiences in the real estate world, and her secret sauce for success. Don't Say No to the Prospect was published in 2019, followed up by the Retail Leasing Playbook in 2020. Beth also co-founded the South Florida Independent Retailer Award held annually in Broward County. She is a graduate of FSU, is a former foundation trustee, and is past chairwoman of the board and founder of the FSU Real Estate Foundation. Beth is a past president of the Board of Directors of Hope Outreach Centers in Davie, Florida, and co-founder of 100 Plus Women Who Care in South Florida. Well, if those credentials aren't enough, I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. She is here with us today to talk about the differences in investment style and risk-taking in women with specific attention to their commercial real estate space. So welcome, Beth. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Christina. I'm very happy to be here. Anytime we can talk about women investing and guys, I see we have one or two gentlemen here. We all need to be investing more. Absolutely. So before we kick off into why and the differences that some of the, our genders have in investment style, I want to talk about your career and just talk about how did you get into commercial real estate and just talk a little bit about that. Well, I was chatting with Robin before we got on. I think we all kind of just fell in it. I mean, my parents were in residential. And at 18, when you have a family in residential, you get your license. So I got my license and I did residential all through college summers. And I graduated with a degree in English literature and public relations. So I went to work for a not-for-profit making a whopping 11000 a year in 1983. So I did real estate on the weekends. And after two years of working seven days a week, the residential developer I was working for said, come do this full time. You know, I had gotten a huge increase from 11 to 23 at the not-for-profit, which is still not a lot of money. So I said, okay, I'm going to go do the private thing and get out of the not-for-profit world. But I hated it. I was sitting in a trailer working five days a week instead of seven, waiting for people to come in the door. 
And I went to him and I said, you know, we need to have marketing events. We need to bring people in. And he said, no, no, I'm selling luxury homes. You just sit there and wait for someone to walk in the door and read your people magazines. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I left a job I loved for money. And that was a terrible decision. And after about three months, someone said, you should get into commercial real estate. And I said, gross, that's selling land, isn't it? That's even more boring than this. And they said, no, there's this thing called leasing. And you help independent mom and pop businesses open their first store at a grocery anchored center. And once you do that, you're part of their family for life because you've helped them achieve the American dream. I said, sold, where do I sign up? And I joined a firm that has a training program and I was there 18 years. I grew through the company. You know, I was, I started in the training program and then I was the director of leasing. I eventually became the president. And then after 18 years, I was a single mom of a three-year-old and my nanny was raising my son. And I said, I can't be a good mom. You know, I had him at 40. You know, I didn't have a son, a kid, a baby at 40 to have someone else raise him. So I needed to leave that life. And that's when I went out on my own and started buying. Amazing. Talk to me about the first investment you ever made. Well, so there's the first investment I made with a partner, which is a great story. And then the, fir the first investment I made on my own once I left there. So the first, so I was a leasing agent for this company called Terranova. And the president was a guy by the name of Steven. And he came to me one time, like, I think I, I joined in 86. So in 89, he came to me and said, we're buying this shopping center, this public anchored shopping center. Do you want to invest? And I said, I don't have any money to invest. And I didn't trust it. Like, I, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm 29 years old and I was married at the time and, you know, no, no. And then he came to me about six, nine months later, we're buying another deal. You missed out on the last one. We did really well. You know, you should put money in. And I said, you know, I don't have any money. And he goes, you know, you're making the first time I, I think I was making about 60, 70 grand. This time I'm making over a hundred. He goes, well, you know, what do you mean you don't have any money? You, you're married. You both make good money. You should be investing. And I'm like, nah, no. The third time he came to me and said, okay, you're going to be the leasing agent of this deal. It's going to be a huge success. You should put money in. And I said, I don't have any money. And he goes, and he was furious with me. And he goes, what are you doing spending your money? I said, well, I have a Jaguar, a Jaguar out in the parking lot. And I just got back from three weeks in Hawaii. And he said, you're an idiot. And he took me to the local bank and he co-signed a note for me for $50,000 on one condition that then on every commission check, 20% of the commission check went into an investment account for future opportunities. And that started my investment path. I ended up doing, I think, nine different deals with him before I left that company. And he was the general partner and I was a limited partner and learned like immediately because we started getting distribution checks that, oh, Jaguars and Hawaii's are nice, but passive income, you know, investing at 32 years old, in a piece of a, a what we call a blade of grass in a shopping center was a really good thing. And I needed to keep doing that. Interesting. Tell me about what brought you to understanding that there was a difference in the way that women and men invest specifically in commercial real estate, because I think that that's part of your journey, too. It absolutely is. So I would say in the nine partnerships that I was in with him, I was, and we had multiple partners. We probably had over the nine, a hundred different partners. There were less than five women. So right away I saw that difference. And then I had 
women friends and peers in the industry that said, you know, oh, when I left Terranova, I, I said, okay, I'm going to buy this. When I was at Terranova, there was a site that I wanted to buy, 1.77 acre out parcel. I went to my former boss, Stephen, and I said, we should buy this deal. He goes, oh, no, that's too small for us. I'm like, okay. Well, six months later, I'm, I leave the company and I say, I'm going to buy this deal because I knew the market cold. It was for sale for $1.2 I knew we could do two ground leases at probably, you know, 120 150 each. It was a home run deal. So I took three of my best girlfriends who were in the business. So one's developing Walgreens deals, one's representing Costco and Home Depot, and the other one's representing TJ Maxx and, you know, other tenants. So two tenant rep brokers of big boxes and some and a developer. So I take them to dinner at this Cuban restaurant and they go, why are we here? And I said, you look out that window. And they look out the window. I said, did you see that piece of that, that property out there? And they said, yeah, I go, we're going to buy that. I'm like, no, we're not. I'm like, what do you mean you're, we're not? It's 1.2. I'm going to get 10 friends, 100 grand each or 20 friends at 50 grand each. This is this is a great deal. We need to buy it. And they're like, no. And and they're in the business. And this is my so my frustration is we have this intelligence that we know. And I said, and, and so it was very frustrating. I said, okay, well, I'm going to go buy it. If you guys don't want to buy it, whatever, I get it. And I went and got five my first five investors, all men, and then those three came in. But they were, women didn't do it. It wasn't, it's like, I was watching the Emmys last night and they were talking about minorities being in television characters and the, and, and the, the women were saying, or the minorities were saying, if you can't see it, you don't think you can be it. And about television and being, you know, portrayed at characters if you're a minority or Asian or, so that was, I think, the thing is they didn't see other women doing it. Therefore, they just couldn't see themselves doing it. So and, and so over the years, now that I'm on my own and I've now bought, you know, I sold a deal last last week. So now I'm down to five deals. But as I've bought and sold shopping centers and, and retail properties, women have come up to me all the time. I want to do what you do. How do I do what you do? And then when I find a deal, I send it to them. And they don't step up. And I and and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm not gonna, you know, I will raise the money for the deals, but I started to get frustrated by that. And I said, you know, why aren't women investing? And I started to do surveys. And all, there are four things that came back. One, it's too risky. Two, it's too complicated. Three, fear. And for math, math. So, and, and and the fifth one is someone has told me that it was too risky or too complicated. I go, who? Who told you that? Like, what gender was that person that told you that? <laughs> so I said, I'm going to do something to take the mystery out of the complication, the fear, the math, and try to start this mission of getting women to invest because, look, Talk about complicated. I don't know about anyone here, but I lost 80% of my Netflix stock a month ago. That's complicated and risky. You know, the stock market is not not complicated and not not risky. So those are the reasons that they're, they don't see anyone else doing it in their peer group. So if you can't see it, you can't be it. And then 
people say it's too risky, it's too complicated, and then they they internalize that the math is too hard. That's so interesting to me. I obviously with survey you had honest answers, but what you and I have talked a little bit about too is that it's a lot of women in our industry in commercial real estate that don't feel the confidence in actually investing in the business that they work on. So I feel like there's like a confidence gap or something, you know, like you're working on a business that you're presenting to other people for them to make uh, and hopefully an exorbitant amount of money. But then you yourself don't do that. You also told me that if there was ever a deal that you were trying to get, you would put in if somebody else didn't like you don't take something that you wouldn't personally invest in. And so can we talk a little bit about that and unpack that? Because that to me is just so interesting. So I've had a lot of, we've had success, which I'm very proud of. Most of the success has been because of the market knowledge. So all my five and, and the one that I just sold, were all within 10 minutes of each other. So, and within 10 minutes of my house. So who knows these markets better than, and better than me? Not too many people. So when I have gone to raise family and friends money, you can't ask me a question about the market that I don't know the answer to it because I live, breathe. My kids went to school. We go to church in the market. Now I am for the first time ever, probably going to be buying something in Cleveland, Ohio, but I've been, I just spent the last 18 months there on a project. So I know Cleveland, Ohio, but I've had partners say, let's go do that deal. And you don't have to put any money in. And I'm like, no, I, I put money in in all my deals, whether it's a hundred grand or more or less. I want to be able to put money in because I think it's important that we we all do that. We're all a part of it or a piece of it. So the one thing that I think would be interesting to talk through too is sometimes for people that are just starting out and and thinking about their first deal, maybe a hundred grand seems really scary. But I know that you've had conversations with your with the lending community and where there's a disparity there, as well as like women not understanding that you can go to a bank to get a loan to invest in commercial real estate. So can you talk to me about that path that you went on? Because that to me is so interesting. Yes. And look, I just I just talked to someone three weeks ago, who's putting an out parcel under contract and it's 350. And they have, they're a leasing person. It's an empty KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. They have a tenant in their pocket. They can get a loan. They can get the LOI signed before they have to close on the property. They can get 50% and they're going in with three friends. So it's like 350, they're gonna get three friends at 50,000. She's got a tenant in her pocket. She's got a loan for the 50%, but she can refi out of that once that tenant is in and open. So there are deals, and this is a much smaller market than South Florida, but there are deals out there that are smaller and you don't have to do deals all on your own. You can like, you know, my first deal, I. I think 15 partners. I'm not shy. It doesn't, you know, I didn't have 1.2 million. I, I put in on that deal, I think 100, and then got per partners and friends. But the lending situation, so this was last year. So the first women's summit that I did, Women's Investment Summit, was online during COVID. It was great, but I wanted to do it in person. So last year, we're getting ready to do it. We're three weeks out, Christina and I have sold 27 tickets and I am about to lose my shirt. And my assistant's like, you know, we need to cancel this. And you know, there are women that care about this. And I'm like, there are women that care about this. I don't wanna lose my shirt. 
But I have this lender call this afternoon. So three lenders who are going to speak at the conference. I'm just going to go ahead and have this call and then we'll make the call tomorrow if we're going to cancel the event. Okay. So I have one woman that's with Principal Mutual Life that's been lending for 36 years. Another woman that was with a local community bank in South Florida for 25 years. And then a mortgage broker that's been in the business five years. So we're doing the prep call. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start the call with this question. How many women have you lent to that were not part of a family owned portfolio, like a daughter, a sister, a brother, you know, like there were like there's an inheritance or a spouse of a husband that's investing. And the principal mutual life woman said in 36 years, she's seen that person, that makeup of that woman less than 1%. The community bank woman said less than five women in 25 years. And the mortgage broker said, not one yet. And that's when I made the decision that I don't care if I lose my shirt, we're going to have this conference because it needs to start with one. And we ended up selling, you know, we had 101 women there, which was great. You know, we broke even, which was, was my goal. So, but when I heard that, and then when I reiterated it that day at the conference with 100 women in the room, that's just awful. That stat is awful. Why do you think that that's the case? Is it the risk that prohibits them? Is it just the knowledge of like not knowing where to start? I think for me, for what I hear sometimes is like just not even knowing where to start, even though, you know, we're in the business. It's just like, how do you even start trying to put your finances together? And like, where, where, where is step one? So I think step one is to tell everyone that you know that you want to invest. Because if you tell me I want to invest, okay, I'm, you know, I used to walk around with my phone and I'd have an Evernote. And every time someone would say, I want to invest in your next deal, I put their name in my Evernote list so that when I had the next deal, I would send it out. Like I said, and half, and most of the people that said they wanted to invest wouldn't respond and that's okay. And, and I've done people's investments. Like I had three lease, leasing agents. Cause I'm also, I, I started this with wanting leasing agents to invest. And then I realized that women weren't investing at all. And so I, I flipped it to, to women, but I've had people put in as low as five or 10,000 into deals, which is if you're a leasing agent and you're making a hundred grand, you should be able to do that. But I think that the important thing is to tell people in your circle that, and maybe people, you know, that do it, or just keep asking or, you know, in, because we're all in the business, you definitely know someone that's buying something and you probably know someone that's syndicating something. And just to make sure that you say, I'm interested, you know, and then putting the word out. That's, I think, where you start, because for me, starting as an LP, you know, with that person, my boss who co-signed the note, which was, I'm very grateful for that that happened. I was able to then be a limited partner on nine deals. That was huge education then for me to go out on my own and buy the, the first one. I bought 1.77 acres. By the way, the goal was to do two ground leases with restaurants. We ended up doing a ground lease with Walgreens. We flipped it to the Walgreens developer and we made 300% on our money in 18 months. So all those people then went and I did not do a 1031 because I didn't know even what that was. And we all paid taxes. And then I found the next deal. And all those people are in that deal, which I still own today. And then people tell people. So there is so much money out there. People say to me all the time, oh, I know the number one reason women don't invest. They don't have money. I go, that's not true. Women have money. Women know how to get money. 
but they're just scared. So the reason I have the summit is I, I interview people on stage that have done it. You know, the first year I had a woman that just bought her first shopping center. I go, how scared were you? She goes, I was super scared, but now I'm, I have the second one under contract. So, and there's so many people to help. You know, there's professionals to help. There's friends to help. You know, there's lawyers. I mean, I drive by seven deals that I didn't do because I asked men, richer, smarter, more experienced people. I, I think I'm going to buy that deal. I think I should do that deal. Oh, no, you shouldn't do that deal. It's too risky. Seven deals. I don't listen to anyone anymore. I don't ask anyone any, any advice. If I do it, if it's my gut, if I have the, the market knowledge, I'm going to do it. And if it's on me, it's on me. But driving by those seven deals and my girlfriend says, stop looking back. But that fuels me to know that I was right. Because they're, they're all, they've all been built or developed or sold with what I thought would be great with much larger companies than me. So that just, what it does is it, it, solidifies that my instinct was right, but now I don't have to ask anyone else's opinion. Why so did you feel like you had to ask opinions before? Fear, probably fear, fear right? Like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of money. I'm going to sign on a note. I'm going to put 300,000 instead of 100. What do you think? I don't do that. Don't. So, but back to being, to start, tell everyone you want to invest and then whatever asset class you're in. So, you know, in our summit, we had a self-storage girl, a shopping center girl, a hotel person, late woman. We had someone who did fix and flips in residential. I mean, a lot of times my the young woman who bought her first shopping center, she's now bought two. She bought the second, refied out of the first to buy the second. She started in VRBOs in St. Pete Beach, you know, just start in something. And, you know, a lot of my my gal pal friends that are investing with me now started with vacation homes in North Carolina. You know, you just whet your appetite on something other than the stock market. But I just say, if you're in self-storage and you think this is a great deal, have confidence in your knowledge and your wisdom and your experience in the asset class you're in to say, okay, I really think that that I have it. I think I have, could have a tenant. And, and just work that through. Really good advice. Stick to what you know first or what you're comfortable in. You know, don't push yourself so far out of the comfort zone. At least do work within a class that you're comfortable in. What would you say to male brokers on how they could make the investing process less daunting or scary if fear is a major reason why some women don't invest? How can we make things, I mean, I guess for men or women, how can we make the process less scary? Educate yourself. So, you know, I, when I first started investing, I took the CCIM, that the valuation part, like I don't have my CCIM, I'll, you know, congratulate all of those here that do very difficult, but the valuation class, super important. And then I, I took another college class about investment valuation, something separate from the CCIM. So I think if you, if you have a fear, educate yourself to overcome the fear. And have, again, have confidence in yourself. I don't think that men, we should tell the men of the world, oh, you should help women. You know, no, we can do it ourselves. We can that. do it ourselves. We can do it ourselves. We are smart enough. Yes. There's a lot of women that are really good at math. I'm not good at math. So I'm always educating myself on math. Meeting lenders, like there are lenders in your community that you can start having lunch with saying, hey, if I, you know, 
if I bought this industrial deal, like what is your, how is your bank or your community bank or your, what, what kind of loans do you give? So you can start prepping yourself. Okay. So they do 70%. I need 30% of equity. You can start educating yourself. Or last week I was at an international council of shopping centers or ICSC event in Salt Lake city. I went to all of the capital market sessions. You know, I don't really need to go listen to about the bed bath bankruptcy that's coming. I, you know, I, I that's my thing. I know it. What do I not know? Alter, I went to a, a roundtable on alternative funding and they talked about crowdsourcing. So I go to things to learn, to expand my knowledge in case I want to do a crowd, a crowd street loan on a deal. I don't know. Okay. That's really interesting. Speaking of that actually, I think we have a question from the audience. Denise, is that you? I think I see that you typed in something. So do you need securities? Do you need a securities license to do deals with so many partners? I think is what she typed. But if you if if I got that wrong, just take yourself off mute, Denise. So so correct. So, that's the question. Yep. So there's different. So obviously in different states, you have to be very careful about that. And I work with a partnership attorney and a contracts lawyer. So when the, when the syndications, when you're accepting income or investments from non-accredited people, you risk be getting in trouble and needing a license to do that. So I always make sure that I bring, I, I'm getting my investments from accredited individuals. And that is a certain income level, a certain net worth, and a certain annual salary. So for me, that's that's what I focus on is accredited investors. If you have accredited investors, you don't have to have in Florida, you don't have to have a, a license to syndicate. Okay. Denise, let me know if you had any other follow-ups. And also for anyone else on the call, if you have any questions, you can either type it into the chat, raise your hand, take yourself off mute. This is a really casual conversation, so feel free. I love the recommendation of like taking your lenders in your area out to lunch. It feels so low risk to me. I mean, I think we're we're all good at well, theoretically, we're all good at networking and just, you know, getting to know people for the sake of our business that it feels like something we would do normally, but to do that with your, the intention behind it of your own investments and just studying for yourself, I think that that's really a great recommendation and it feels low risk to me. I'm not sure if anyone else feels well, that way. And well, hopefully it is because we're all networkers, but also mortgage brokers, right? They, there is not a shortage of money from either the banks or other sources of loans of lenders. So saying, Hey, I might be getting into doing investments in 2023. I'm just curious what's they, they're going, Oh yeah, we're going to have coffee with you. Like if you're a potential, you know, you're a rock star in what you do, you're, you know, the top office broker or sale, you know, investment sale broker in your market they're going to realize that and they're going to want to tell you what their programs now their programs can change from today till 23 when you're ready but what it does it it takes the mystery out of that part i didn't do that in my past life he did all of the loans so when i went to go get the loan on the that first deal that 1.2 deal i learned so much because i i had not been in the front lines of getting the loan so that's why i say to everyone and the girl, the young lady that bought her first shopping center that spoke at the conference, she called me with like five weeks left in due diligence. And she, the lender she was working with, the appraisal didn't come in correctly. And she was, oh my gosh, you know, I'm supposed to go hard tomorrow on this deal, blah, blah. And I connected her with my lender and she ended up closing the, the, the deal. 
So again, the more that you start, when you start investing, you start meeting other people that are investing, and then you create another circle of peers that you can get referrals from lenders and other business vendors that you may need. You know, for me, I mean, full disclosure for the for the group listening, I have not yet yet invested in commercial real estate for a lot of those reasons. But, you know, going through and meeting Marissa Limshako at Otso and like being part of that community of women that are really supportive in the commercial real estate space, you know, we really actively and, and I, I'm so thankful to have that vehicle, like talk about why aren't like, I mean, some, they, they'll just ask me straight up, why haven't you invested yet? Like what? So to have a group for me, I feel very supported in a group of women talking about this, but it, it holds me accountable to achieving my goals. And so I find that very empowering, but it's just nice to have a community of people that are pushing you towards thinking a little bit differently, but not that differently because it's what we do every day. So like that to me, is always like such a conundrum in my own mind. You know, I'm I sit in these meetings all the time and then I'm, I am, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> so well, I, and, I understand. And the other thing that can help you with the nerves, like invest less, right? So if you're thinking, like I've had people call me and say, I'm going to give you a hundred grand on that deal. I'm like a hundred grand. So if I lose that hundred grand, how materially will it change your life? Really material. Okay, then just give me 25 because I don't want the pressure and it's as risky as the Netflix stock. I mean, I can have the plan and I can tell you what I'm going to do and I can show you, you know, my past successes, but that doesn't mean that something could happen like the global financial crisis or COVID. And then, you know, it, it is risky, but so is the stock market. Give me an example of an investment that's not risky, I guess bonds, and then you make no money. So I think that reducing the risk with both the amount of money you're investing and by doing it with someone that has a track record versus doesn't have a track record. Absolutely. Those are great advice to try and get over that risk aversion. So, okay. So to, to get over the fear, we have educate yourself. To get over the risk aversion, it's maybe don't take as big of a risk or, or dabble with your risk level. For complexities in math is, you know, either have a strong partner, people you trust, that sort of thing. But there's one one of the four that we haven't talked about deeply is the the getting advice. Now, first you said don't get advice from other people, but for for starters, how do you maybe deal with either a partner, your household partner or a business partner that is trying to advise you differently and how how can you kind of overcome that that part of what keeps you out from the deal? That's that's I feel like that's a little bit complicated. Well, for sure it is, especially with a household partner. For sure. So I, I'm single, so I I can't, you know, if if I had a household partner and they were discouraging me from making an investment, my, my relationship's more important than that. So I'm going to probably, yeah. for the sake of the happiness of my personal life, if, if this person felt strongly, but I would try to prove the case. You know, look, I know this person. This is the track record of this person. This is the deal. Let's go see the deal. Let me show you the deal. You know, because most of the time our, our household partners are not in our industry. So they're like, Absolutely. what are you talking about? Right. But for example, like my, the KFC story where they've got the, this empty KFC, vacant KFC, they and 
this person reps fast casual tenants, has one that will take it. I mean, it's, I think in that scenario, it's not a home run, but it's, it's a very good deal. And I, my guess is if you laid out the facts, the partner would say, that's, that's a good deal. Let's go ahead. Especially if you said, let's not do the 50,000, let's just give 25,000. Sure. So maybe the, the uh, overcoming some of those others all kind of can overcome each each one of those four instances. Denise had another question. How do you vet the people you're investing with? Well, that's interesting. Not just convincing people to invest, but then how do you decide you want them to invest with you? So I think, does she mean, how do you determine like if I should invest with Beth or how does Beth determine if I should let Christina in? So I was just thinking, let's say, somebody come to you saying that hey do you want to invest in this project and blah blah but you okay. barely know that person how do you trust that person and go, you go in i mean you you said that at the beginning you didn't even trust your boss you know right i would not invest with someone i didn't know that's me personally so i've invested so there's a very successful industrial broker in south florida who I love, who's a rock star. And he reached out to me and said, hey, I'm buying a, a warehouse deal in Tampa. Are you interested? I said, yes, because I know his work ethic. I know his success. I think if he sees a deal in Tampa, so I put 50,000 in an industrial deal based on him, not even the deal. I mean, he showed me the deal. It makes sense, but I'm going on his recommendation based on his 20 years in the market. So I wouldn't invest with someone that I didn't know. But if the same thing, I've invested with a lot of different people, I know all of them. So if a stranger came to me and said, would, you know, if maybe if a friend of mine said, hey, I've invested with this person and I'm getting the returns that they said, you know, maybe, maybe I would invest. But, you know, you have to be very careful because of, you know, all of the craziness that we've all had that we've seen on the headlines of the newspapers. Sure. So it's it's safer to do it on your own than invest with a stranger. So I would say instead of investing with a stranger, try to find a small deal that you could do in your asset class with people you know together, like me and my four girlfriends or three girlfriends. And then they said, no, we're not doing it. And then, of course, they came in. They came in after I got five guys in it. And, you know, we laugh about this to this day. That's interesting. I think that's that's good for people to hear that our brokers in in their markets, like just be that, I mean, it's almost common sense, right? But be that trusted advisor. But like, it's it's really, that's why we're in all of our communities so deeply is that you have to be that trusted person on the receiving end of that. So I think it's important to treat your own investments the same way you would hope somebody treats you in your market. I mean, I, I'm like, I've invested, like I said, this industrial guy in Tampa, there's a young, there's a woman I met through my summit, who attended the summit, who is buying multifamily in Little Havana, Miami. I've I've invested twice with her. I invested with a woman who buys hotels. Now I've now I've vetted all of these people. Like I've met them, I've watched them for months before I gave them money. So so it's so I didn't know those people. You know, three of them I didn't know them five years ago, but I've learned about them, then I've met them in person, then I've followed them, and then I invested with them. 
Sure. That makes perfect sense. Kim Eiler. Hey, Kim, thanks for joining us. Has a question. She says, are there groups known of women who have projects to invest in around the country? If you as an investor are not located in a market that has availability to invest or you want to expand outside of your market. I don't know of women. I think there are women like funds or deals. I don't know personally of any. I can tell you that what I'm very proud of is the woman that I invested in the Little Havana multifamily project. She spoke at our last summit, which was in April. She just bought another multifamily, like nine unit deal in Little Havana, the same market. So now she has like six of them, which I love. I love that. This last one she did, I think she has 13 partners, all women, seven of them she met at the summit. Oh, wow. So, and that's, I love that because what I want the summit to be is educate, you know, show people on stage that have done it. And then whether you make, like for me, I found her, which means I found a deal that I could invest in her and she found investors. Now they probably, most of them invested with her because I've invested with her and they know me and I've given her $25,000 in both of her properties. They're small deals, like 700,000. She got a loan for half on both. So I hope she does well because those seven people probably did it because I said I've invested with her. Sure. But this is a former banker, super conservative woman. And down here in South Florida, multifamily is hot, hot, hot. And I love heritage cities like Little Havana because I believe that heritage cities will be around. I don't think they will be turned. I think they'll, they'll help with those traditions and those heritages and stay the way they are and and be more tourist destinations. So I like those markets. Oh, interesting. I love that. 13, she said 13, 13 women all together in one day. All deal. women, all, all women. women. So I'm going to do a pot, uh, like a, a case study with her that she did her first, like, I think it's the only all women investment that I'm aware of. And I'm glad that she met seven of them through me. Yeah, that's really incredible. Talk to me about the summit a little bit. So you started the summit during COVID. Last year was your one with 100. So tell me about like the progress of, of I, we heard a little bit of why you started the summit, but then just tell me like how it's evolving. So I started it because people kept saying, how are you doing it? How are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And I talked, I said, this is how, but I said that so many times. I'm like, okay, this is, I need to figure out how, how can we help a large group of women? So I was going to do it in person and then COVID killed that. And so then we turned it into virtual and we had, and I did this, the agenda was the same. I interviewed women who had done it. It was very important for me whether it was one shopping center or two hotels or 32 townhomes. I just wanted to have women that people could. So we did it virtually. I interviewed the women. Then we did breakout rooms where the women could ask questions in the asset class that was important to them. And then, so that was online. And then last year we did it in person, had 102. Same thing we did. I interviewed the women like, you know, arm, like fireside chats. And then we broke out into roundtables. What we learned from the one in person, and then the next day I did a bus tour because it was in South Florida. We did day two and I put everyone on a bus and we drove. 
that was like a VIP day. So we had about 50, half of the group. And I drove them to all six of my assets and I gave them a handout that said, this is why I bought it. This is how I bought it. This is how I financed it. This is what we've done since. So they got it. They were able to walk, you know, sit, look at a shopping center and have my, the inside of my brain of when we bought it, when am I going to sell it? If I'm going to sell it, all that. But they really like the deep dive in their asset class of choice. So this year, what we're doing is I'm doing the same. We're interviewing, I think, seven or eight women. It's going to be in Orlando. And the afternoon will be breakout sessions where you can actually go into a room with a woman who says, okay, this is how I buy hotels and have screens and show underwriting so that, and that it will be two 90 minute sessions. So you can do that for retail and self-storage or hotel or, you know, industrial so that you can do a deep dive with the person that's actually done it. And that I think will also help take out the mystery of the underwriting, which people get nervous about. That's that's really incredible. When is your summit next year? It's March 8th nice. in International, Orlando. International yeah, Day it's of International, Women. International Women's Day, yeah. <laughs> that is perfectly timed. We were lucky enough to have our global conference last year during International Women's Day, and it was just special getting all of the women at Coal Banker Commercial together, celebrating each other. And it was just, there's something special about that day. There really is. It's very motivating, I think. Okay. Did we get to your first deal that you did solo? Because I feel I had that written down. Did you, did we That's dig the, into how you did that? So that was the 1.77 acre uh, land yes. deal. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I would love if there's any other question. Oh, I do have another question. Hold on. Can you tell a little more, a little bit more about how that works? Do you establish JV and sell shares to those 13 women and then purchase the investment property? Okay, so I think she's talking about my friend that did the multifamily, I but so, I can yeah. but how I do it. So for example, I'm buy I hope to be buying a deal in Cleveland. It's $10 million. I will get a loan for six million, 60%. Then I have to raise four million. I have a partner who's already committed to three million. So he'll put in the three million. I'll probably put in three or four hundred, and then I will go out and raise six hundred. So the partners get, so there's two pieces of this. There's what's called the preferred return, which is basically interest on your money. And the second part is the promote. So basically the VIG for you being the sponsor. So the 4 million that I would raise, let's say 6%, the, the preferred return is interest on your money while you're holding that person's money. I don't know with, with interest rates and with inflation, if six is going to be too low, but that's what the majority of the projects I've been working on has have been six up to this point. But like I said, times are changing. I might have to go to eight. But basically, I say, Christina, if you want to give me $50,000 for this deal in Cleveland, I'll show her the deal. She likes the deal. So this is how it works. You give me 50000 of that $400 i am raising, and annually, Christina will get 6% on her money or 8%, whatever the number is. At the end, uh, at, at some time where I build up the value, I lease the crap out of the space and we refi and we pay the 4 million of equity people back. So we refi it and I give everyone back their money. I give Christina back her money of 50. Let's say it's four years in, Christina has made 
6%, 6%, 6% on her 50. At that point that she has no more money in the deal, Def, the sponsor, get if it's an 80-20 split on the pref being 20 to Beth and then the partner sharing the 80, at that point that everyone has their money back, their original equity, I get 20 off the top. So if let's say a distribution in 2024 is a million dollars, I would get 200,000 for the 20% and all of the partners would split the 800,000. But that those partners don't have any money left in the deal at the time that I would get my promote. So the promote is a back end success fee only after everyone's got their original money back and those annual preferred return payments. So for me, I, I bought a deal in, in 08, right before the global financial crisis. And I did not distribute for eight years, nothing. Like we were lucky that we kept the property. This is my best property I own right now, by the way. And my anchor moved out. I luck luckily got an extension on the loan because the lender didn't want to, you know, take the property back. But for eight years, we did not distribute. We had a 6% pref. No one got their 6% pref. Then the property got healthy. I signed a lease with United Health. They backed out of the deal and I got a payment of a million dollars from United Health. So the million dollars went to pay everyone their accrued 6% that for eight years they didn't get. And I think we paid 60% of the original equity. So that's where, so I'm, so now it's, you know, 12 years later, I'm still not in my promote. Your promote only kicks in when everyone's gotten everything I promised them. So those are the two pieces when you invest, like, so exactly for the woman who's got the little Havana multifamily, she's, I think she's given us 6% preferred return. And then Later on, when she's successful, her deal is, I think, also 2080. That was so helpful to break it down that explicitly. So thank you so much. That was really helpful. There's a comment that sounds very complicated. I need graphics to visualize it. I'm visual too, Denise. That's funny. Where can she read more about this? Any suggestions? Actually, we're at almost time. So besides knowing where to read more about it, let's also share with everyone how they can get in touch with you. Absolutely. So LinkedIn is probably the best way you can just direct message me on LinkedIn. I mean, I can, you know, type in my email, my phone number, you guys can send that in your show notes. I'm, I'm very accessible. I return every phone call. That's amazing. Thank and, you. And I will, so much. I will tell you that the promote and pref thing used to used to trick trip me up until I did it enough to where it's it's not hard. You can do it, but it is it does sound complicated, but it, it's really not. Well, and that hits one of your four reasons why people don't necessarily do this is the complexity is, you know, it, it stresses people out. <laughs> well, Beth, I wanted to say thank you so much for your, unless anybody has any other questions, I wanted to say thank you so, so much for joining us. I think it was so helpful to have a really open dialogue about women and investing and kind of your path and how we can kind of demystify and make it less scary, but also just make it more attainable for people in the business to invest the business that they work in. If you found this conversation interesting or helpful, please mark your calendars for part two of this three-part series. It'll be on October 13th at 12 p.m. Eastern. And don't forget to join the What Moves Your Movement by going to womenfcbc.com. 
and click on, if you scroll to the bottom, there's a section that says stay involved to fill out a form to stay connected. If not, just private message me on LinkedIn. I'll make sure I get you to the right links. But any closing thoughts? If if one per, if, if our listeners had one thing to do or one thing to remember, what would you leave them with? Invest, 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 start small, but just do it. So I put it, I put $25,000 in a deal in 2001. I got to be part of the general partner because I was the president of the company and he gave me part of the GP piece. We put in, it was a property we bought for four and a half million. I put in 25,000. So the equity was half of that. It just was, it just was appraised six months ago for 60 million. We refied it for 40 and I got a big fat check that I didn't have to pay taxes on. The biggest check of my life. And that was in 2001, so 21 years ago. So my motto is, don't wait to invest, invest and wait. That is a wonderful way to tie a bow on all of this. Thank you so much for joining us, Beth. And for any of you that missed part of this, it'll be on our podcast, Sorry with CBC Worldwide shortly. Thank you so much, truly. Thank you, Christina. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining everyone.